Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, February 1st, 2013. Yeah, there's no theme today. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. Some of the stuff we cover is just absolutely nonsensical. Um, Other stuff that we cover, it's absolutely deadly and subtle and uh, rather dangerous. All of it's dangerous in the sense that even the uh, the stuff that's ludicrous on its face is dangerous because there's people who believe it that's the crazy thing that i just i can't get, uh, <laughs> just unbelievable that anybody would take somebody like well patricia king seriously or cindy jacobs seriously that just boggles the mind you know that anybody would say oh yeah you know cindy jacobs she's a prophetess no, she's not. And, you know, is, did you pass second grade? I mean, it's really... Uh. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. There's actually quite a few segments that I need to get in today to wind up the week. And, uh, I've, like I said, there's no theme for today's episode. So, you know, from time to time, that's just how it comes together. It's stuff that, you know... I think he needs to be at least looked at and then, you know, move forward. We'll start off today uh, with a quick, and I mean very short, uh, William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times update. Apparently, um, things have gotten really slow on the prophetic news cycle, uh, prophetic numerology front. And, uh, And what I mean by that is that, you know, William Tapley is actually still making videos where he's really wringing out all of the prophetic nuggets and drips and blood from the, the video Gangnam style. <laughs> no joke. I'm not gonna, it's not going to be a very long update <laughs> because once you hear it, you'll kind of get the point. Um, then we'll switch gears real quick. Do, are, those of you in the United States of America who listen to Fighting for the Faith, 
Did you know that Cindy Jacobs is like singularly responsible for saving the U.S. economy in 2008 from you know from preventing the uh, the big stock market crash from actually completely crashing everything? It's Cindy Jacobs herself who's responsible for saving. Yeah, well, you're gonna. <laughs> If you weren't aware of that, you know, we should all send her thank you letters, I'm sure. We've got a uh, Patricia King update after that entitled Crazy Joy Power. <laughs> Just, you can't make this stuff up. We'll take a break after the Patricia King update. And when we come back, I'm going to ask kind of a, a more poignant question. And, and that's this question. Does American evangelicalism have power brokers? Does American evangelicalism have power brokers? Now, work with me here for a second, okay? Now, I watched The Awakening Revival again last night, and Judas Smith was the guy headlining, okay? And as I was watching him dressed up in his designer peacoat and wearing his Clark Kent uh, spectacles and saying the things that he said, the thing that came across to me was, this guy is not biblically qualified or mature enough to be a pastor, okay? Um, and so the question I have is, who's responsible for making Judah Smith into a premier, headlining, seeker-driven conference-slash-revival speaker? And he has a book deal. He has a book coming out. My question is, who made the decision to basically inject this kid and that's really what he is he's a kid inject this kid into the mainstream of american evangelicalism as a pastor that people need to be listening to that somehow he has some amazing message that he's got to bring to us but it's clear in listening to him that number one, he's not an exegetical prodigy by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, in fact, the, he's quite the opposite. Nor is he a model of Christian maturity and manhood. In fact, quite the opposite. And both those things came out loud and clear in in uh, Judah Smith's revival sermon last night. Which, by the way, that you know, I'll, I'll give him this. Okay. Is, you know, from time to time we talk about the gospel nugget here at Fighting for the Faith, and if you haven't listened long enough to where you know what I'm referring to, what's the gospel nugget? Well, it used to be uh, back when we started the program. You know, we're coming up on five years. It'll be five years in uh, June. But uh, when we started the program, there it was still a common thing to hear the actual biblical gospel or something very close to it in a seeker-driven sermon. However, it was always an afterthought or some kind of a quick slogan for an applause line kind of thing. And, uh, and it's, no sooner did you hear the gospel that it was you know, quickly whisked out of the, uh, out of the um, I don't want to say sanctuary because that makes it sound like you know, seeker-driven churches have sanctuaries. They don't. Uh, auditorium, you know, out of the television studio. Um, so, and what, what, when that would, whenever that would happen, we, we had a sound, uh, we call it the, you know, this is the, okay. The gospel nugget just came in and went out. Let me play for you what that sound is. See there, there it went very quick. You would have missed it. You know? And so, um, I'll give Judah Smith this, and that is, is that there were two gospel nuggets and he didn't fly him in and fly him out extremely quickly. 
Um, but they, you know, they were in and then out. It, it was kind of like a slow, um, maybe a propeller-driven airplane that was circling the field. It circled the field twice and then flew off. Okay, so we had something of the gospel nugget from Judah Smith. And um, so I'll give him that. I mean, at least, hey, you know, you know, you, you could dip your fingers in the water if you were thirsty and take the drip off of your finger and put it to your tongue to try to quench your thirst. So I'll give him that. But, you know, after listening to this kid, it's, again, my question is, who is responsible for him? Why is he being put forward? It kind of, you know, what it reminds me of is is something along the lines of this. Um, 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 contrived boy bands, okay? You know, like the Backstreet Boys or something like that, you know? Uh, see, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, you know, if somebody was going to actually make a, a music career and have their music played on the radio... That it, it, either as a as a solo artist or as a band, they actually had to have talent. You know, they 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 couldn't just be given dancing lessons and have a, a pretty face. And you know, and if it was always a plus if they looked good and could act and had musical skills. You know, that kind of thing. But um, the one thing you know that about the artists, music artists that I, what I was when I was growing up, they actually had to have some skill. And then came the, you know, the boy bands, okay? The completely contrived, thrown together kids who have got the look kind of thing. And um, and the one thing that was really clear is that if these guys had to actually make it the way older bands made it, they would have never made it because they didn't have it. You, you, they don't have what it is and they just don't have talent. And so, but they, the one thing they were capable of doing is making a junior high school uh, girl have heart palpitations and to scream, you know, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, so Mike, that's what I think Judah Smith is. Judah Smith is the preaching equivalent, um, or I should say, you know, keynote premier seeker driven conference revival speaker equivalent of a market-contrived boy band. Um, it, I mean, seriously. If if Judah Smith were alive a hundred years ago, okay, there is no way on earth that there would have been a Christian publisher that would have paid any attention to him. N- not one. Not, n- not even a third-rate Christian publisher would would have paid any attention to, to publish anything that he has to say. His sermons, you know, based on what he's delivering, would have never flown. No one would wanted to hear them, and let alone record them for posterity's sake, so that we can all be, you know, you know, hanging on the the wisdom of Judah Smith. I mean, anything but. So again, so here's my question. Okay, is there a um? power broker group responsible for putting together this contrived market product known as Judah Smith. And I think there might be a case that there is such a thing. So we'll take a look at his uh, part of his uh, sermon from last night and try to figure out why is it that anybody who calls themselves a Christian would want to listen to Judah Smith and why is he being put forward by some group or persons as if he, this guy really represents the 
cream of the crop, the best that Christianity has to offer when it comes to the preaching department. I mean, it's like anything but. So anyway, and then we'll after we're done with that, we're going to end the week off with two really good sermons. One uh, by uh, Vicar Darren Sheik uh, from uh, Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. The other one from uh, Pastor George Borkhard of uh, Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in McHenry, Illinois. And both of them are just fantastic. I mean, just truly focusing on Christ, exegetical. The gospel is so clear. And, and in fact, in Borghardt's sermon, as I was listening to it, um, Borghardt doesn't have like a segue skill. I mean, <laughs> it's he, sometimes when he segues, it feels more like a theological jujitsu move. And so, um, yeah, he does that in, in this particular sermon, but it's, it's still, it's, it's good stuff, a great way to end the week. So that's how we're going to do our program today. Strongly advise that you take every possible precaution to protect yourself from any negative things that can happen while listening to this episode of Fighting for the Faith, especially what the next three little mini segments that we're going to do, because, yeah, it's just crazy. In fact, I, I better do this. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. is not afraid. Yeah, it's uh, William Tapley update time. It's R.E.M.'s. It's the end of the world as we know it. That's our theme song for William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times. His latest video that just went up hours ago is, well, I'll let let him explain it to you what this video is about. Here's William Tapley. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times. This is my ninth program in my series on that amazing prophetic video called Gangnam Style. Ninth video. Ninth. He's done 
nine. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> seriously. <laughs> He's really wrung that one dry, don't you think? Oh, let's find out what new insights we missed in the other eight videos. <laughs> and I believe this is an end times prophecy from Enoch. And in my last video, we saw how the Antichrist will take over the world. And he does this not through military means, but by taking over all of the world's religions. And he combines them into a one world religion. And in this video, Gangnam Style... The Antichrist is portrayed by Psy, and the One World Religion is portrayed by his girlfriend. Now, in this program, I want to talk... Man, I missed all of that. I mean, if I had only been pay attention, paying attention to all the other videos he made, I would have realized that Psy's girlfriend is the One World Religion. <laughs> ...about the words or the lyrics to Gangman Style. And on the surface, it's well, a pretty ordinary love song, I guess you could say. It's about a guy who is trying to romance his girlfriend. But the hidden meaning, of course, is much different. Because it is talking about the Antichrist and his bride, the One World Religion. And the title of this song, as it is transliterated to indicate this hidden meaning, is Open Gangman Style. And, of course, the gang man is the Antichrist. That's because he is... <laughs> oh, man. This is what happens when you take your eyes off of Christ and you try to turn the Bible into a code book that needs to be cracked. <laughs> the only thing that ends up cracking are your mental capa capacities. The man of sin. The lawless one. As we go through the lyrics of this song, Gangnam Style, we will find four major themes. The first is that the Antichrist and his bride, the One World Religion, are not what they seem to be. Outwardly, they are very moral and upright. Inwardly, they are immoral. And secondly... <laughs> you, how did you figure this out from the video? <laughs> really? This will become apparent with the passage of time. And by the time the end times come, we will see how evil they really are. Third, we will see that the Antichrist and his bride, the One World Religion, are very superficial. Yeah, okay, I, can, I cannot handle, like, even another second of this. So this is... <laughs> William Tapley's ninth installment on plumbing the depths of the prophetic insight from the from Gangnam Style. Oh man, ah, it it really must be a slow prophetic season right now. I I'm hoping that when baseball season gets into full swing, pun intended, um, you know, maybe with the uh, Super Bowl coming up. This the Sunday. I mean, maybe he he can find something else to talk about. But yeah, this is what happens when the prophetic uh, news cycle 
uh, begins to run a little bit thin. You, you end up having to go back and making sure that you you covered every tiny little prophetic thematic thing that you can find in such things as size Gangnam style. Moving along. Chief Ray, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the team has been sliced. They're Pinky. They're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Yeah, that's right. Cindy Jacobs update. Will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. The pinky and the brain. Yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. All right, now, did you know that back in 2008 that Cindy Jacobs and her prayer warriors saved the global economy? Yeah, I'm, I had no I had no idea about that either. Well, <laughs> don't worry, uh, you know, never to miss a beat. I mean, and you know, take credit for herself for all of her prophetic prowess. Here's Cindy Jacobs explaining how she practically single-handedly saved the global economy and no this is not a joke here we go you know prophets are just weird we are so strange you know so you never know what i'm thinking you know i may smile and look you know hug your neck whatever don't get nervous but but i mean i'm just weird you know i mean because i may be radar and something in la la land you don't know somewhere so I- yeah that that <laughs> Yeah, I love that phrase to describe her. She may be radaring in something from La La Land. Yeah, that just totally has me feel like I can confidently say that God the Holy Spirit is talking to you because that's what prophecy's like. It's like radaring in things from La La Land. Sitting right over here, I think we were singing just whatever song, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said there will be no more business as usual. This was in 2008, just standing right over there. And I said, okay, Lord, what do I do about that? And he said, well, I want you to take prayer teams to Wall Street and begin to pray, because if you'll do, the economy will not completely crash. So God the Holy Spirit told you to take prayer teams to Wall Street in order to prevent the economy from totally crashing. It, it just only mostly crashed. <laughs> and so we began, that was January, nothing had happened in the economy. The economy actually shook September of, that, of 2008. And then, uh, so, you know, we contacted God TV. We had prayer teams ready to go right on the stock market floor. And... Uh, uh, we because I the Lord said to me it will be worldwide. Now who could imagine? It's happened, hasn't it? No more business as usual. It's happened. On- so God revealed to you that the global the econ- economic meltdown would be global and worldwide. And so, uh huh. This okay. Worldwide basis. And then I got closer to the thing, and the Lord said, no, no, you don't have enough intercessory prayer mobilized to really stabilize this economy. 
Uh, so you got to get that. You got to. You need intercessory prayer to mobilize and stabilize. Uh huh. So I wrote a friend of mine, a South African friend, who has a global day of prayer, and there's been prayer in all 220 nations through this business guy's grand power influence. So I said, Graham, if I write a prayer guide, will you send it worldwide? And he did, and we had prayer about at 100 stock exchanges at that time. And people don't know, you know, the economists are do not know why the economy did not completely crater worldwide. Really, I'm not familiar with any economists who were sitting there scratching their head going, wow, this should have cratered everything worldwide. I don't know why it didn't happen. But we know, don't we? Amen? Because we pray. Because we did our job. So there you have it. Cindy Jacobs and her prayer intercessory prayer warriors, they were able to swoop in and save the global economy in 2008. Because God told her it was going to be global. But then, you know, she so she got some prayer warriors together. And God said, oh, that's just not enough. And so she sent out a, you know, they, they had people praying at, uh, over 100 different stock exchanges around. They single-handedly saved the global um, economy. You know, you, you just can't make stuff up like this. It's, it's that, again, how anybody would say, oh, yeah, Cindy Jacobs, she's a prophet. Yeah, that one's lost on me. I have no idea how anybody with like two brain cells would actually think that Cindy Jacobs, that God the Holy Spirit is actually talking to her. And while thinking of Cindy Jacobs, somebody similar to her, well, we got to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, have you ever figured out how to tap into crazy joy power? (laughs) Well, you're about to hear Patricia King explain... (laughs) Crazy joy power. You just can't make this up. Here's Patricia King. For today's uh, message, I want to uh, uh, share out of Philippians 4, verses 4 to 8. And I want to talk about crazy joy, you know. Yeah, um, we've actually um, reviewed you so-called having crazy joy, and it was frightening. Let me remind you of what that sounded like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was funny. (laughs) So this word is for the person. Oh, you'll know who you are when you hear this word. You were baking bread one day, and for some reason, you needed a fly into the bread. (laughs) And you had guests for supper. (laughs) You see what I mean? That's just, that's, uh Mm -hmm. So when Patricia King starts talking about crazy joy power, it's, I want to go grab my tinfoil pyramid hat. Crazy, over-the-top joy that will transform your life. And when I say crazy... So crazy, over-the-top joy is going to transform my life. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the transformation is go- a good one. Yeah, which What seems to happen to you um, makes you less lucid and less sane, um, less grounded and more, well, crazy. 
That's see, that's life transformation for sure, but that's transformation going backwards rather than forward. You know, sometimes like when things are like like out of confinements, out of control, kind of in a in a space that's like way out there beyond what you can just grasp. I call that crazy, you know? Yeah, I'm sure you do. It's like, it, it, it's just beyond the normal, beyond the usual, beyond the limits, you know? So I'm talking about this crazy joy that can transform your life. And it's a word that God gave. Yeah, uh, the crazy joy that can, you keep saying it, can transform my life. I don't want my life to be transformed in that way. I mean, in fact, I was in a an encounter with the Spirit uh-huh. a while ago. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit said to me, and it was interesting because when I went into the encounter... I'm sure it was interesting, but yeah, in fact, I'm like 102% sure that that wasn't God the Holy Spirit because nowhere in the in the Bible, including Philippians 4, does God talk about the life transformational properties or qualities of crazy joy power. I was a little bit stressed about some things. I had allowed some negative thoughts to come into my mind and to stress me. And I was trying to find solutions, and I couldn't see the solutions, and all I could see was the things that were making me stressful. So the Holy Spirit said, Patricia, I'm going to give you one scripture, that one scripture portion, that if you will live your entire life by this one portion, you will have a successful Christian life. Ah, in other words, works righteousness. This is proof positive this wasn't God the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You will have a fruitful Christian life. You will have a life that is full of the bounty of the Lord. If you can just live and do this one scripture. If you can just live and do this one scripture. Yeah, that doesn't sound like Christianity at all. And this is it, Philippians 4. So I want to unpack it for you because it's so exciting. I can hardly wait. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now the word rejoice there means to be exceeding glad. He's saying, be exceeding glad in the Lord. And so that takes looking upon him. And as I was meditating upon it, I thought, Lord, you have to be the the number one of everything. You have to be the beginning and the end. You have to be all that my life is about. And I was thinking about it, I thought, Lord, if everything were to crash down around me, if I were to lose everything I had, even as far as, you know, uh, personal possessions, if I lost it all, if everything crashed down, if everything went bad around me, I've lost nothing because my life is in you and you're all that matters, Jesus. And no one can take you from me. When I stand before you in the final day, it's all I stand with is my heart and you. We are together for all eternity. And I felt the Holy Spirit said, live with that perspective. Because if you do, everything gets added to you. I see. So if you live with that perspective, then everything gets added to you. So that's the one thing that's required Notice the language here. So that you can have everything else. Uh Uh-huh. This is works. Everything you need in life gets added to you when you seek first him. When you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, his glory. When you understand that he is all you need. So when you're exceeding glad in this good, good God. When you're exceeding glad in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He says do it always. Not just when things are going good. Not when things are smooth. Not when you feel like it. You know, do it always. Rejoice in the Lord always. So that's a good thing to practice. See how much that you can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. So he said, come on, I want you to get a hold of this now. Do it. 
And then he said, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The Lord is with you all the time. So he says that gentle spirit, which actually is a, is a posture of rest. Like it's a gentle spirit knowing I don't have to be all riled or fearful or stressed out or anything like that because my Lord is near me. I'm just at rest because I know everything's going to work out. My expectation, I just am exceedingly glad in the Lord. That's why I can be at rest with any situation that comes up in my life. And there's many of you that are watching this clip that you're stressed out over some things. And the Lord says, just start being exceedingly glad in the Lord. He is so amazing. He'll work it out for you. He'll take care of it, not to worry. So just be exceedingly glad. And then, you know, God will take care of that. Just go into that restful spirit Uh because the Lord, is near and he's totally committed to you Uh and then it says be anxious for nothing nothing okay don't be anxious about the little problems or the big problems you might have some gigantic challenges before you but you don't even have to be anxious with those ones it doesn't matter how big they get you don't have to be anxious for anything he says do not be anxious for anything. So when you start feeling anxiety rise up or stress, and it could be even, you know, you might think it's really good. Oh, I'm just anxious because my child isn't serving Jesus yet. And you might think, well, I should be anxious because he's in such a mess. No, you shouldn't be. You should just be exceedingly glad in the Lord. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in what the Lord's going to do for your wayward child. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. That means nothing. What are you anxious about right now? Cast it down. Be- yeah, false teachers in the church, like false prophetesses like you. Is it, is, is, is- anxious for nothing. And then he says this, but in everything, by prayer, which is talking to God, and supplication, which means making your request known, with thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving is a key because when you're in the mode of thanksgiving, what you're doing is, is you're believing that God has already been good to you, right? So, okay, I'm going to pray for, let's say, um, uh, my unsaved loved one to come to Jesus. So, Lord, I receive by faith my loved one into the kingdom of God. I receive that by faith, perfectly aligned to you in all of your ways. Now, that is a weird way to pray, okay? When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, okay, there's petitions in there, by the way. It begins with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Notice here that when Christ taught his disciples to pray, he didn't say to them, and when you pray, say something like this. And Lord, I by by faith receive from you um, my daily bread. No, you pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. So notice this little prayer, you know, the the language here is super important. Um, And it it divulges something about her theology. What you're doing is, is you're believing that God has already been good to you, right? So you're believing God has already been good to you. No, I believe God is good, and God is good to me. 
But this, again, this goes back to our witchcraft thing here. So now you see if you just believe that God has already been good to you, future tense, well, then that will create the reality of God being good to you because, see, that's the secret. For God to be good to you, you have to believe that he already has been good to you, future tense on whatever it is that you're thinking. Uh Uh-huh. So, okay, I'm going to pray for, let's say, um, uh, my unsaved loved one to come to Jesus. So, Lord, I receive by faith my loved one into the kingdom of God. I receive that by faith, perfectly aligned to you in all of your ways. Now, I just prayed, okay? No, actually, you didn't. That's not a prayer. That's you declaring something. That's very different than a prayer. I could put a petition before the Lord and write it out and make it a formal supplication. I could do that. But that's basically what I'm bringing before the Lord. Now, I'm going to bring it with thanksgiving. What does that look like? Lord, I <laughs> thank you that you are answering that prayer. I thank you that <sighs> that loved one is now in the kingdom. I thank you for your goodness. So what does it sound like when you do it with crazy joy? And your response, I thank you that you're a faithful God and you will make it good. I thank you, Lord, that it's now in your hands. Now, you see what you're doing? You are engaging in your faith, establishing your faith through thanksgiving because your thanksgiving is a statement of belief. So Paul said... (laughs) Paul is not teaching some kind of weird word of faith formula here. Be anxious for nothing. Yeah. If you're anxious, if you identify anxiety, remember you don't be anxious. Just do this. Let everything by prayer and supplication. Yeah, just just don't be anxious. Yeah, that'll solve it. When Jesus talked about anxiety, he mentions this, by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything, right? And he points you to God. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, Jesus doesn't say, now, if you're anxious about certain things, listen, what you need to do is, you know, you just decree and declare it and and claim that thing and to receive it by faith and then do so with thanksgiving and whammo, blammo, those things will be added unto you. Yeah, notice that Jesus' teaching regarding anxiety is actually dramatically different than what Patricia King is saying here. Although I'm fascinated with what she's saying, it's just like watching a train wreck in slow motion. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, once you do that, this is what he says will happen. The peace of God. Now, that peace, that that, that word peace there means everything that pertains to your safety, your rescue, your deliverance, your freedom, your prosperity, your welfare. That's what that means. And the peace of God, which surpasses comprehension. In fact, this peace is so crazy that... You can't grasp it with your mind. It says it is way out of the boundaries of understanding. It is so big you think, I am in such peace and the things I'm looking at out there are crazy, but I'm in a peace that passes understanding. And it says, and he will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now that word guard actually speaks about putting a military watch around it. So he's going to put angels around you and his word around you and his favor around you to guard your heart, which is where all your emotions and your inspiration comes from, and your mind, which is your logic and your thinking. You need your heart and your mind guarded. And if you rejoice in the Lord, if you're exceedingly glad in him, letting your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving, 
then your heart and your mind will be guarded. You're going to loose angelic majesties to help you. <laughs> you know, she was trying to sound sane. And then she goes and talks about, it. and then you will loose angelic majesties. <sighs> Stay in perfect peace. All right. Then he says, finally, brethren, or could be sisters, whatever is true. Now, the Holy Spirit, he confirms the truth. He doesn't confirm a fact. He bears witness to the truth. So let's say that I'm fighting a headache. He's not going to say, yeah, you have a headache. He's going to say, yes, you are healed by the stripes of Jesus, right? <laughs> so now the Holy Spirit denies reality. That wouldn't be the Holy Spirit. That's like, this is like Christian science. Because the spirit of truth will only confirm what's true. So Paul's saying, whatever is true. So if you have a headache, the Holy Spirit wouldn't say, oh, yeah, you have a headache. No, because that's not true. It doesn't say whatever is a fact. He said, no, whatever is true. Oh, <laughs> Find the truth. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of... She has no clue what the scriptures are about. That's just all I'm saying. Praise. In other words, stay positive. Don't allow any negative to get in there. How did you get that out of that passage? Don't let any negative to get in there. But he says, if you'll do that, I want you to dwell on those things. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell. Dwell, dwell, dwell. Live in those things. Think on those things. Ponder those things. The, the, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace, the God who gives you your deliverance, your freedom, your health, your strength, your prosperity, everything that you need, that God of peace will be with you. Wowie. <laughs> yeah, just seeing Patricia King say, wowie. <sighs> this is amazing. This is crazy joy. Oh, no. You can rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Be exceedingly glad in Jesus. Think about him all day long. He is everything. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. When you start being crazy, crazy joyful in Jesus, you're going to see everything come into alignment for good. Yeah, because that's how you get it aligned. You just got to be crazy joyful. You seek him, his righteousness. All those things, they'll just get added to you because you're breaking into a supernatural dimension when you do. Really? Uh-huh. I don't recall any supernatural breaking through dimensional thing going on in those passages. Wow. Yeah, wow was right. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim. Yeah, no, we're done. <laughs> yeah, she's going to start decreeing and proclaiming. Whew. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, um, I think we're probably going to need to take a break now. I'm going to go detox and get ready for our next segment. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, 
Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break. We'll be right back. And then we're going to be listening to some of uh, Judah Smith from the Awakening Revival asking the question, are there power brokers uh, you know, out there working in evangelicalism? We'll explore that when we come back. Stay tuned. When he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Jesus wasn't looking for affirmation. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally, we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend Radio. 
Radio. We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tycrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating when you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson, Missouri. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Beware of female prophetesses claiming that you need to have joy in order for everything else to come into alignment in your life. It turns joy into a work. And that's crazy, all right. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. Are you a member of our crew yet? Well, if not, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, in the middle of the homepage, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to join our crew and contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. $6.95 a month. That's it. That's it. Just six ninety five. Not a lot of money, but it actually means a lot to us because the more crew members we have, then it helps us to be able to budget month to month, pay our bills every month, you know, things like that. And so if you're not a member of the crew, then go ahead and join the crew. We would really appreciate that. And, of course, there's little perks along the way, and we're working on our latest perks, so stay tuned. I'll, we'll let you know when it's ready. It'll be a little bit of time, though. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you do so by clicking on the Donate button or make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. That's right, it's our new Judah Smith update music. Oh, this is going to be painful. You are my fire, the one desire, believe when I say 
Does the term posers mean anything to you? That's about enough of that. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so the question that's on the table today, after watching Judah Smith's performance at the Awakening Revival last night in Jacksonville, Florida, you know, at Celebration Church, home of Stovall Weems, my question is this. Who is responsible for making Judah Smith into a premier seeker-driven conference-slash-revival speaker? Okay, um, as you're going to hear, he's clearly not an exegetical prodigy. He's not even a model of maturity or Christian manhood or at all. Um, so my thinking on this is that there is some inner sanctum, some uh, marketing cabal of evangelical power brokers out there who are basically out there creating products. And I think... Um, after listening to Judah Smith last night, that it's very clear that Judah Smith is a product. Makes me wonder if Stephen Furtick and Perry Noble are as, are products as well. Because, like I said, a hundred years ago, nobody, nobody in Christianity would take Judah Smith, Stephen Furtick, or Perry Noble seriously. They basically say, oh, you're a bunch of man boys and you're not even qualified to be pastors. Well, I think Judah Smith is you know, the latest iteration of this. And just listening to his performance last night and what was said about him and what he said makes me just go, he's, he's not qualified to be a pastor. So that means somebody out there is responsible for creating this product similar to the ancient boy bands and putting it out on the market. This is, I think Judah Smith is a market created product the same way as the Backstreet Boys <clears throat> were. So uh, let's go back to the tape from last night. Here's Stovall Weems introducing Judah Smith and listen to how he introduces him. Listen. We're so glad that you're here tonight. I want to introduce tonight's speaker. So let me think about this introduction, Judah. First of all, Judah and I, uh, we've become really good friends about over this past year. We both have a common passion, and that's golf. And so the, when I, I, I want to let you know how, how Judah really freed me up. He really ministered to your pastor when we played golf because uh, how many of you know your pastor's kind of an emotional, passionate guy? You know, I can kind of tend to be that way. And so... When, uh, so I can, you know, sometimes I can be that way on the golf course every now and then. So when I played with Judah, you know, when Judah hits a bad shot, he yells. When Judah hits a bad shot, man, he might throw something. And I'm thinking, man, I've been reserved and holding back all my life. So, yeah, you heard that right. So at the revival, 
Stovall Weems introduces Judah Smith as, yeah, he loves golfing. Man, when he makes a bad shot, he throws his golf clubs and he yells. Okay, now, back in the day, okay, when I could afford to do it, I played, I used to play golf. It was one of my favorite sports, okay, and there was nothing worse than being in a foursome with somebody who was a screamer, a yeller, and a club thrower. It's it's embarrassing to watch. It's absolutely childish. And, you know, it makes you just wonder, you know, you need this person needs to grow up. I mean, life happens. Golf is not that easy. It's really easy to hit a, hard, a, a bad shot. You just got to get over yourself and get over it and go and collect yourself and make, you know, make the next shot count. But so here, Judah Smith is being introduced to us, you know, and those of you who play golf know exactly what I'm talking about. These kinds of folks are the worst type of people to play the game with, okay? In fact, if, you know, when I would play with friends, if anybody was like that out on the golf course, I usually wouldn't invite them back. The last people I want to hang around with are, you know, that's just not an enjoyable round. So Stovall Weems is basically telling on Judah, saying, oh, yeah, this guy's got a temper. He's out of control. He yells. He throws his clubs. Um, And he's a head pastor of a church, and he's somebody who's going to bring revival to Jacksonville, Florida? Really? And finally, here's a golfer who doesn't mind throwing a club or a rake or whatever every now and then. So he really freed me up. But let me tell you something about Judah. Judah, first of all. I mean, anybody who's seen the movie Happy Gilmore knows that that's bad behavior. Because Happy Gilmore had to learn how to get over that. Oh, man, he is a man after God's heart. He is a seventh-generation preacher. Seventh-generation preacher. And so does that make him a prodigy? I mean, I mean, is there some kind of genetic chromosome that makes you a preacher? Okay, now, again, listen. My point is that, okay, from what you're hearing about him, he's clearly not a, a model of Christian maturity. Okay, now... Those of you who missed the Passion 2013, he said OMG, what, five or six times at the at the Passion Conference just a few weeks ago, okay? I mean, so now we know he takes God's name in vain, like, while preaching, and he he's on the golf course, he's screaming, yelling, throwing clubs, and throwing rakes. Um, how is this a model of Christian maturity and sanctification? Huh? Has incredible wife, incredible kids, pastors an amazing church in in Seattle. He's a Seahawks fan. We forgive him, uh, so, but, but pastors an amazing church, a city church in Seattle. Speaks all over the world. He's got a great book coming out in February uh, called. Jesus. So he speaks all over the world, and he has a book coming out. And again, my question is why? Who made the decision? That Judah Smith has, well, it, it would really be considered the cream of the crop in, um, you know, in American preaching out there. That we need to we we need to be reading his book, and we you know, and that he he needs to be flown all over the world to to preach to people. Who made this decision? 
Jesus is that we're going to have right here in our resource center. And some of you ladies know Judah spoke at Shine uh, this past May. And uh, Judah, we're so grateful that you're here. Come on, Celebration Church, I want you to put your hands together and give Judah Smith the best welcome you can. Here he comes, Judah Smith. I mean, you, you would think that he was the first person to put his footprints on the moon. Come on. Are you well? You look good. That's half the battle. That's what my mom said. You can be seated. The people behind you already are. Well, uh, now you know I have an anger problem. Um, shut up. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I just got angry. Um, so he's just going to blow it off with a joke. Okay. I, I, I love Celebration Church, I have to say. And, um, you know, I don't speak at women's conferences a lot, um, two to be exact. But uh, to, to, to be here about, about a year ago, uh, I just fell in love with Celebration Church and fell in love with your pastors, Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry. Okay, so this is the kind of the opening segment, you know, to this, you know, the obligatory, you know, thank yous and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to fast forward just a couple of minutes and, you know, listen to this little bit, which we hear a lot from people nowadays. And, you know, and this, I think, is a form of spiritual manipulation, but I'll let you hear it first and then I'll explain. You know, something happened to me again, and I heard that it happened to a few of the other speakers. Uh, I just got on the plane, got up at 345 this morning, Pacific Northwest time. That's, that's where God lives. And um, got up and uh, got on the plane, and I was fully prepared to sleep and honestly couldn't write fast enough. Same thing happened to me on my way to Shine. And uh, I kind of already had a pre- message prepared, but I just got something brand new on my heart. And uh, if, if, if it goes over well, I might use it at home. You know what I mean? So, so okay. So are you ready for the? I mean, he's received a form of direct revelation from God. I mean, he was prepared to preach a particular message, but then God intervened. I mean, he was on the plane. He couldn't sleep. And all of a sudden God said, Judah, this is God. Yeah, yeah God. I need you to change your message. I'm going to put it on your heart. Okay, God. You know, I already have it written. No, don't worry about it. This is even better. It's something new, something fresh. Thanks, God. Yeah, how many times have we heard this from somebody? The job of a pastor is to preach the word. Okay, the reality is is that um, we don't need anything fresh or new We need somebody to rightly handle and preach and proclaim God's word, to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins, to preach law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and forgiveness of sins, to do proper exegesis, to do employing proper hermeneutics, to really point us to Christ. By the way, just a quick aside here. The whole premise behind revivalism is really um, dubious to me. Because um, here's the deal. If a, if a pastor is doing his job of rightly handling God's word, preaching and proclaiming it, um, then the folks in any particular congregation aren't going to need revival, are they? Nope. Just, you know, just saying. Anyway, 
All right, so I'm going to fast forward again. So that's him saying he got a fresh revelation. God laid something new on his heart, and I'm thinking, ick, you, you, because, you know, um, out of the heart is where sin comes from. But anyway, uh, here's Judah. Okay, he's going to read literally the entire chapter of Revelation 21 to us, and I'll note the uh, the gospel nugget in the middle of it because there was, two, by my count, two different times where we got... A, a, a gospel nugget, and it was slow enough moving that you could identify. It's like, hey, wait, that's the that's the gospel. And then no sooner did you really recognize it that you know he he changed the subject and, and moved on. But he at least got to the gospel two different times, and so it was like the gospel kind of circled the you know the the building there and made two appearances. So one of the appearances is while he was reading from Revelation twenty one. But I want you to listen to him read the entire thing and then what he does after reading all of Revelation chapter 21 because that kind of tells you how the rest of the evening went. Here's Judah Smith setting up his need to read from Revelation chapter 21. Here we go. Go with me to the last book in the Bible. Now, if you can't find the book of Revelation, it's a good thing you came to a revival, okay? You've fallen a great deal away from the Lord and uh, it's time to return. It's the last book. That's Christian jokes gone wild. Okay, here we go. Tough crowd. Revelation 21. Okay, now here's the deal. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Fair enough? But here's the bonus. Here's the bonus. Like, if you didn't get your Bible reading in, uh, we're going to get it in right now. Okay? Deal. And uh, for the record, uh, it's been a long time since I fasted. Okay? And I just got to get that off my chest because I kind of feel guilty. I'm up here with the microphone and y'all been like seeking the Lord, fasting and praying. Uh, but my dad raised me with a motto said, son, fasting's good, but eating's better. If you believe that, somebody shout amen! Come on. I felt that. I really did. Appreciate that. All right. Revelation 21 and verse 1. Now. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write these words that are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It should be noted upon this juncture in our reading that what that verse does not mean is if you that you if you lied you're going to go to hell now it means if you lied but you didn't trust jesus to pay the penalty for your lies you will have to pay the price but if you lied and you lied a hundred thousand times a hundred thousand times but you put your faith in jesus to pay the penalty for your lies you are going to spend eternity with him come on somebody Okay, now notice that was a bona fide gospel nugget so i should play the the clip hang on So there was the gospel, flew in and flew out. And notice that, you know, he turned it into kind of like a slogan or an applause line here. 
You know, um, let, yeah, let me back it up just a smidge so that you can, you know, hear how he turns this into really an applause line. For your lies, you are going to spend eternity with him. Come on, somebody. It's revival. You know, that little thing, it's revival. He did that so many times I lost count uh, last night. It was actually kind of obnoxious. It just feels good to say that. Seattle, we don't even know what revival is. You know what I mean? In the South, it's the home of revival. Revelation 21.9. It gets good. It gets, it's good. I mean, it's all good, but it gets gooder. Then, uh-huh. one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me, listen closely, the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south. Are you in a hurry? I mean, why are you reading this so quick? And three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the land. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, height are equal. Then he measured his, then he measured its wall 144 cubits according to the measure of a man. That is of an angel. Judah, what does that mean? I'm not entirely sure. Let's keep reading verse 18. Now, now again, I'm going to pause there. Listen again to what he's doing. He's reading Revelation 21 rather quickly. Okay. And so he's come across something that's piqued his interest. He's not sure what it means. Watch his exegetical explanation again. And that is of an angel. Judah, what does that mean? I'm not entirely sure. Let's keep reading verse 18. So now he's making a joke of it and basically saying, I have no clue. Yeah, he can't expect me to. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the, you, you were fast and you tell me. Verse 18. The, so he, like I said, he's not a model of Christian maturity and he's clearly. Not an exegetical prodigy. Like, far from it. We continue. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third is there. Read it for yourself. The fourth is emerald. The fifth is also there for your reading enjoyment, as is the sixth. So he doesn't even know how to pronounce these precious jewels. From the text that God the Holy Spirit laid on his heart to share with everybody. And the seventh and the eighth. The ninth is topaz. The tenth, help yourself. Same with the eleventh. And the twelfth is amethyst. Come on, somebody. So they're going to give him an applause line for his inability to actually read the details of Revelation 21. I mean, I mean, like I know how to say him. I just, just, you know, just trying to engage you guys, you know? Right. Verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual, individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, writes John, 
For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Woo, that'll preach right there, man. That will preach. Now I'm going to stop here, okay? Listen to what he's doing here. I mean, my question is, oh, really, if you think that's going to preach, then preach it. But he doesn't. He does, Oh, this will preach. Pointing out some very interesting nuance here. As if he's looking into a crystal ball and going, oh, woo, woo, hi, hi, there's some ugly stuff in there about your future, woo. Huh, well, what is it? <laughs> you don't, you don't want to know, but it, it just trust me. It's, it's not, it's the, it's not looking good. I mean, this is what this reminds me of. Basically, a show. Illuminated it. The lamb is its light. Woo, that'll preach right there, man. That will preach. If you're a preacher, that's like putting a chubby kid in a candy store. The lamb is its light. So how exactly for a preacher would that really preach? I've been a teacher in the church for 20 years now. And I see that little detail and I'm not seeing the chubby kid in the candy store going, oh yeah, that'll preach. And you don't end up preaching it. That's good stuff. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there we go. He's done the unthinkable. He's actually read an entire chapter from the Bible at a seeker-driven megachurch. No one ever thought it could be done. And now that he's finished it, he's got to quickly change the subject and talk about himself. Watch. Woo! Why do drugs when you can do Revelation 21? There we go. Another reference to somehow the Bible being a drug. Yeah. Um, boy, that's really mature and a right understanding of God's holy word. Why do drugs when you can do Revelation 21? That's some good stuff, isn't it? Inhale deeply. Yeah. So there you go. That's some good stuff. Uh huh. Again, my question is. Who's responsible for making the decision to make Judah Smith a product? I'm telling you, he's he is to the preaching world what the Backstreet Boys were to music. Sorry, let's pray. Okay, so now he's going to pray and listen to his prayer. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Uh, we love you. Thank you for the scripture. Help us now by the power of the Holy Spirit in these brief moments we share to really encounter the person of Jesus. Help us to see his beauty, his majesty, his sufficiency. We love you, Lord. Thank you for these moments. And Lord, just just forgive the Jaguars, Lord, for passing up on Tebow, God. In Jesus' name, everybody set! You need healing out here, y'all. need healing. Yeah, so, and the, so we get the, let us see the beauty of Jesus, his sufficiency and all that kind of stuff. And he doesn't actually preach about any of that. And then he has to throw in a little joke about the fact that Jacksonville passed up on Tebow. Again, okay, he's clearly not a model of Christian maturity. In fact, he's 
actually uh, a model of Christian immaturity. Um, he's got a lot of growing up to do. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of growing up to do. I mean, it's, it's, he's so immature, it's embarrassing. Okay. And, and on top of it, he has anger issues, throws golf clubs and yells and screams and all that kind of stuff. And just reading a chapter from Revelation 21 is not the same thing as actually exegeting it and preaching it and proclaiming it. And boy, everyone thought that he, you know, he had bent pressed 600 pounds because he actually read an entire chapter, chapter in, of the Bible. Oh, give him a standing O for that. And now he's done his little goofy prayer and with the little TiVo joke in there. And now who's he going to talk about? Well, himself. Hey, anybody have kids? Hey, who, who has kids? Yeah, we're in this together, aren't we? You know, I didn't have kids. And then I had kids. That's how it works. And, um, like, I used to wonder why in, 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 the, in the animal kingdom, some adults eat their young. But I know now. Like, it totally makes sense to me. You know what I'm talking about? Um... I mean, I love them and everything, but sometimes I want to eat them. You know what I mean? And um, it's a journey, man. Parenting is uh, it's very revealing as a person. Like, um, it's amazing all the plans I had as a dad, all, all the nice things I was going to do for my kids, you know, and all, like we were going to read books and stuff at night. And, and uh, now it's like, go to sleep. Jesus loves you. Bible says so. Amen. I'm like, I was supposed to read Pilgrim's Progress. Ah, we'll get to that later. You know, it's just like 7.45. Oh, 15 minutes. 15 minutes till bedtime. How many know bedtime is the best time? It's like, did you learn how to do, how to preach a sermon from Kid Rock? Is that who you learned this from? Woo! Eight o'clock, man, is my favorite time of the day. And I mean 8 p.m. But, um, so we, we were, Chelsea and I sat down and uh, we were talking to a grief counselor. My dad had passed away and so we sat down with the counselor and it's very evident, obviously, I need counseling so I don't need to go into any of that. But um, we're sitting down and we start talking about parenting and I said, and I love these kids and everything, but, um, you know, I need, some, I need some help. I need some tips. And she said, well, let me ask you a question. Do, do you have like a family motto? And I'm like, I don't, I don't, what do you mean? Like a motto. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the dad. I brought you into the world. I can take you out. That's our family motto. And, of course, remember, God the Holy Spirit is the one who laid this message on his heart. So God is the, God the Holy Spirit is the one who wanted him to tell everybody this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the dad. I brought you into the world. I can take you out. That's our family motto. That's the family motto. Bill Cosby taught me that. What? Okay. So she's like, well, no, Judah, I was singing something a little bit different. I'm like, but I really like that one. Can I keep that one too? You know, she's like, yeah, but you need to like, like a motto, like, like, you know, what's the Smiths all about? 
And I'm like, all right, I'm going to think about it. She goes, you just need to collaborate and then present the model to your children. This is what the Smiths are going to be about. And so I thought about all kinds of things to teach my children. Like the Smiths are about making money and taking care of mom and dad. No, I mean, you know, I didn't say that. So I finally landed on something. And this, this is the family motto. We are Smiths. We are kind and encouraging. And we look for lonely people. So that, that's the Smith. And no, nobody clapped, man. I mean, that's, that's the best I got. All right. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but that kind of gives you an idea of what happened last night. And like I said, the gospel made a couple of appearances. You heard one of them. Um, but boy, we, you know, we sure didn't hear about the sufficiency of Jesus, nor were we pointed to his beauty or really, um, taught much about Jesus at all. But man, we sure did hear a lot about Judah Smith. And again, um, he clearly is not an exegetical prodigy, like far from that. Nor is he a model of Christian maturity. Far from that. And yet, he is invited to deliver sermons and keynote addresses at the most prominent and premier seeker-driven conference and revival venues. He's flown around the world. So, I'm thinking, you know, it's just a theory But I think there may be something to this theory that there are a group of evangelical power brokers who decide who gets access and exposure to and invited to these premier seeker-driven conference-slash-revival venues, and they are in the process of making, you know, the next megastar. But these, the one thing that's clear is that they, these megastars that are out there, they have no preaching ability at all when it comes to actually rightly handling God's word, nor are they mature at all when it comes to like good old Christian maturity. They are literally immature man boys who spend more time on delivering their jokes than they do in actually studying God's word so that they can properly handle it and exegete it. So why are these man boys being put forward as people we need to be listening to? He's he's being he's fl- being flown all over the world like he's a rock star. He's now has a book that's coming out, and my question is why? What on earth has Judah Smith done that is so excellent that he needs to be held up? as somebody that people need to be listening to and emulating. In fact, all I'm hearing from Judah Smith is stuff that you shouldn't be listening to, nor should you be emulating. He's an example by negativity of what you should not be doing. So, again, who's responsible for this kid? Why is he being put forward? Who's putting him forward? I'm thinking that American evangelicalism has some kind of inner sanctum of marketing gurus or whomever who are making decisions and grooming and putting together products. 
preaching products, and the product is the person. Judah Smith is one of them. Perry Noble's another. Stephen Furtick's another. Craig Rochelle, Mark Driscoll, guys like that, because they haven't done anything that merits the amount of influence that they've been given or the money or the book deals, especially in the earliest parts of their career, like here at Judah Smith. This guy has no skills exegetically, at least none that I've seen. He is somebody who has severe temper problems and has temper tantrums out on the golf course and talks about it publicly as if it's no big deal. But these are the kind of things that, that you know, if your pastor were doing this, okay, if your pastor was known for his explosive temper and throwing golf clubs and stuff like that, do, don't you think the elders in your congregation might be having a chat with him and maybe considering that maybe we need to disen, you know, we need to uncall this guy or have him move along or get help or something like that? You, know, you understand what I'm saying? So who's making these decisions? Who's pulling these strings? How is it that the church got saddled with this guy as the rock star pastor that everybody's got to be listening to and buying his books and hearing him speak at revivals and stuff like that? Because I ain't seeing anything that, I mean, really qualify. I mean, serious. I mean, as a, somebody who's been teaching in the church for 20 years, I have no clue why anybody would want to listen to any of this pablum. The job of a pastor is to preach the word, and he just, I mean, serious. I mean, if, if, if he were in junior high and he were being graded on his sermon and I was the one grading it, he would have gotten a D minus. Okay, and the only thing that would have, the only thing that prevents him from getting an F is the fact that two times the gospel at least showed up. Well, thanks. I appreciate the gospel showing up, being mixed with all kinds of other narcissistic error and some really inappropriate jokes being told by somebody who's supposed to be emulating Christ to us. Somebody who's supposed to be the model of Christ-likeness. Judah Smith is none of that. So again, my question is, who is responsible for making the decision to have Judah Smith become... And see, that's the thing. He was made just like the Backstreet Boys, okay? Somebody with power put those people together and spent a lot of time and money marketing them. And thankfully, there was a lot of junior high girls at the time who were fawning over the pretty boys that they were able to make a lot of money, okay? I think the same same type of formula is occurring here. I'm, In fact, I'm like 98% convinced that that's exactly what is going on. All right, we're up on our second break. When we come back, we're going to listen to two good sermons by pastors who actually know what they're doing. Yeah, they're going to preach Christ to us. One from Luke chapter 4, the other from Matthew chapter 9, and they're great. Yeah, just contrast what you just heard to what you're about to hear. It tells the whole story. All right, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. 
spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. Oh, hey, I didn't hear you come in. What was I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double-barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh, no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. We're well into hour number two here at Fighting for the Faith. We're going to end off with two short, sweet, great sermons. Just compare what you just heard from Judah Smith to what it is you're about to hear. Okay? The difference is the difference between night and day. The difference between truth versus pablum. Yeah, listen in. Hang on, let's do this right. The Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today we have two sermons, the first of which comes to us via Faith Lutheran Church, Capistrano Beach, California. Vicar, that's right, this is their vicar, Dar- uh, Darren Sheik presiding. 
His sermon is entitled, Ears to Believe, and he's preaching on the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, which I will read to you in a minute here. And then sermon number 2 comes to us via Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in McHenry, Illinois, Pastor George Borghart presiding, and his sermon entitled, Jesus Heals a Paralytic, based upon the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Now, notice how both pastors stick to the text. Now, I'm going to give, like, special props to Darren Sheik. Here's the reason why. Luke 4, 16 through 30 is not an easy text. It is very easy to get hung up on the rocks on this text, but he navigates it beautifully and points you to your crucified and risen Savior. So, let me go ahead and kill the music here. And let me read to you the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 30 from the ESV. And this will form the basis for uh, Vicar Darren Sheik's sermon. Here we go. Here's the uh, text. Uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, starting at verse 16. And he, that's Jesus, uh, he came to Nazareth, this is Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were on him. And he began to say to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in our hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But I tell you the truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Now when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Here is Vicar Darren Sheik and his sermon based on this text entitled Ears to Believe. Here we go. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Please be seated. My dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So what's the cabinet maker doing in the pulpit? (laughs) I can easily imagine some of the people sitting in the pews on that Sabbath day asking one another that very question. I mean, they heard with their ears marvelous words from Isaiah of great news, but they couldn't get past what they were seeing. I mean, after all, 
Isn't this Joseph's boy? Many of them, no doubt, could remember when Jesus was just a kid running and playing in the streets of Nazareth with all the others. To their eyes, he was just the son of Joseph, now grown up into a man. Yet there was something drastically different about that boy. If they would only let their ears remember what was spoken and then believe, then they would truly see that the one who was standing in their midst was much more than what their eyes were telling them. But that was their problem. And that's our problem as well. We want to believe with our eyes and trust what we see and not what we hear. I mean, think about the various things that people would have heard about Jesus ever since he was just a baby. I mean, the words spoken to Mary, his mother, by the angel Gabriel, that the child she would conceive would be called the Son of the Most High, who will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And then there were the words spoken to the shepherd by the angel that a Savior would be born for them, who is Christ the Lord. And at the temple, Simeon and Anna, I mean, they couldn't hold back their words when they saw Jesus coming. And he de- they declared that he was the salvation and redemption of God's people. And just two weeks ago, we heard about the voice that came down from heaven at Jesus' baptism, declaring him to be God's beloved and well-pleasing son. And now, here, in their synagogue, standing in their midst, reading from the prophet Isaiah, and they can't get past what they see. A man, a fellow Galilean, just as they were. Their doubtful eyes blinded them from the believing the good news that they were hearing with their ears. They wanted a sign instead, something they could see, something they could touch and feel, something they could experience. But Jesus wasn't going to indulge their unbelief. No, he was carrying them from trusting with their eyes to trusting his words. For faith comes by not seeing, but hearing. Hearing the words of Christ. But we always don't like what we hear, do we? Especially when it's painfully true. When our weaknesses and our shortcomings get exposed, it's hard to hear the truth, to call a thing what it is, and to see ourselves for who we really are, and to recognize our condition for what it really, truly is. But it is for you, broken, sinful you that Jesus came down from heaven and took on our flesh. It was for you that he was baptized, and it is for you that he stood in that synagogue on that Sabbath day. Because he came for the poor, 
for you who are empty-handed, having nothing of your own to give to God, to gain His favor, or not having one thing to cling on to for hope, Jesus came to the poor to bring you good news. Jesus came for you who are held captive, unable to free yourselves from your sin that holds you in chains. He has come to set you free. And even to the blind, He gives back their sight to see, not with their eyes, but with their ears, to trust in the grace and the mercy of God. He sets you free who are oppressed, broken, beaten down, tired. All of this he does by the gracious words of his mouth to bring you the good news of new life, new sight, and lasting hope in his name. When we deviate from the word of God, We are left to listen to another word that tells us what our eyes are seeing. We don't see ourselves as poor when we listen to that word. We see ourselves as maybe impoverished, need a little bit more time and effort to get back up to snuff. We don't see ourselves as imprisoned, but rather just inhibited by our sin. Nothing that a healthy dose of spiritual discipline won't cure. We think that with our reason and rationale, we can have clarity of sight to see what God's doing in our lives and doing in His church. And the oppression we see can just be worked out. We can put all the the broken pieces back together if we just have a stronger faith. But my friends, that's not the words of your Savior but of the one who seeks to destroy and to devour you, the devil himself. God gives us faith to trust in what we don't see and understand because what he promises, he will bring about. Take, for example, Elijah and Elisha. They were sent into two desperate circumstances against all odds with nothing but a promise. What the eyes could not see, God's word brought to pass. Oil and flour that never ran out to feed a household in the midst of a famine. And a leper who was cleansed by washing seven times in the dirty waters of the Jordan River. Our Lord Jesus, the word made flesh, has come to us to proclaim real words of salvation to those who cannot save themselves. He speaks to you and to me this morning through His living Word, good news of deliverance from the sin that enslaves you and me, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord where He sets the captives free and erases all of your debt sin. The last miracle that Jesus performed as he was heading towards Jerusalem 
to be crucified happened along the side of the road. A blind beggar heard that Jesus was passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the folks around him tried to shut him up. Maybe they thought that Jesus shouldn't waste his time on a blind beggar. Or maybe they thought that Jesus couldn't do much for that man. But regardless of the reason, the man cried out even louder, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stopped and asked that man, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me see again. And with just a spoken word, no touching, no feeling, but just with the words of his mouth, Jesus gave that blind man back his sight. Jesus said to him, your faith has made you well. A blind beggar with nothing to bring and no way to help himself, he trusted not in anything he could do for himself, but in the words of his Lord. The crowd in the synagogue was enraged at the words of Jesus. They didn't like what they heard. And instead of repenting and seeking forgiveness, they drove him out of the town to the edge of a hill to throw him off and to kill him. Blinded by their sin, they sought to kill the one who came to give them back their sight and to set them free, to bless them with new and everlasting life. And through a crowd so blinded, Jesus slipped away that day. It wasn't his time. But there would be another time, some three years later, when he would carry his cross outside of another town, Jerusalem, and walk up another hill called Calvary to die on a wooden cross for you. For every blind beggar who has nothing to bring or to give, who can do nothing about his condition, but cry out, Jesus, have mercy upon me. And Jesus takes all of your sin, all of it, and he bears it on his cross, and he wraps you in his righteousness, and with his last breath declares it is finished. Your eyes don't see it. Your neighbor's eyes don't see it. But God sees it. The robe of Christ's righteousness wrapped around you all of the days of your life, even until your last breath. And even though our eyes fail us, Jesus keeps giving us his word into our ears. Our eyes of faith. Our eyes only see water. But our ears see the water that cleanses us from our sins and turns slaves into children. Our eyes see only bread and wine. But our ears hear the words of our Savior 
that bids you and me to eat and drink His body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and for eternal life. Today, this morning, is the favorable year of our Lord. Rejoice and live in the fullness and the freedom of His grace that Jesus lavishes upon you this very morning. And with His words of great news ringing in your ears, go in His peace. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. Mm. I don't think the difference could be any starker. And by the way, Vicar Sheik isn't even a full-blown pastor yet. He's still a pastor in training. All right. Sermon number two comes to us via Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in McHenry, Illinois. Pastor George Borghardt is preaching on uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Let me read the gospel text. Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Here's how it reads. And getting into a boat, he, Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home, and when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Here's Pastor George Borkhart and his sermon entitled, Jesus Heals a Paralytic. In the name of Jesus, be of good cheer, have courage, be positive as you go about your life, take heart. Today, at this very moment, the Lord of Heaven sees you. He knows your pain. He knows your hurt. He knows your fears. He knows that you feel like you've gone ten rounds with Mike Tyson, though before he went nuts, Tyson. And you feel like you can't bear another day or another punch. Your evil is paid for by Christ. Your sin atoned for by his death. Your transgressions, all of them, every fruit that you've eaten against God's command, everything that you've done that you shouldn't have done, and everything that you've not done that you should have done, all of it, he has paid for. Jesus suffered the wrath of God's anger, his righteous judgment. For we are all like children who have disobeyed our Heavenly Father and should be punished. Christ took upon himself our grounding. He took upon himself our punishment. He took our spanking and it killed him. The cross, the cross is where we see salvation, heaven, and eternal life won. It's where your forgiveness is achieved, where your debt is paid, where your punishment answered for by God himself. The resurrection is your justification, your forgiveness before the Father. Paul says the spirit of your minds literally is restored to life again. Your new self, the forgiven you, created in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. 
I forgive you all your sins, delivers to you the forgiveness of sins. You are forgiven. That's what you are, who you are. You are righteous. You are holy. You are pardoned. By that word of pardon, word of forgiveness. No matter what else is true of you, the word of forgiveness delivered to you, the absolution spoken to you, defines who you are and makes everything right between you and your Father in heaven. Be of good cheer. Take courage. Look up one more day for your sins. All of them are forgiven you. Yeah, um, that's nice, Pastor, but uh, let's get to the part where my situation gets better. Where I can pay my bills, where my loved ones are okay, Stop the stresses of my life. Somehow, make my kids better. Or at least, make them civil to one another. That's the question of today's gospel. This paralytic is brought to Jesus on a mat. Jesus looks at them, their faith, and he says to the paralytic, Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Churchy words don't change anything. They're just... Churchy words. God will give you something you cannot bear isn't comforting when the weight is so heavy upon you that you feel like you're about to be crushed by it. God will get you through this, or this happens for a reason, is only helpful after God has already gotten you through the thing that you're going through and you're drinking a cold German soda water outside your house with your loved ones celebrating the fact that everything went peachy keen. And so the Son of God stops and says, which is easier? Which is easier, to say that your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Which is easier, to wave my hand over your problems and to fix them or to save you from your sins? Which is easier? Unbelief looks at it all, looks at the forgiveness of sins and says, that's all, Jesus? My sins are forgiven? It doesn't even line up with the hype. Give me something I can work with, Jesus. Don't let me lose my house. Don't let me lose my life. Be God. Be the, be, do a God thing. Do something and turn the hell around me into heaven and do it right now. But God is so good, dear friends, that he doesn't have to prove that he is good. He is God. And he doesn't have to do things that, that he does to show you that he's God. Get up and take your mat and go home doesn't save you from anything but the mat. We just trade the mat for the next problem, the next emergency, the next uh, charge that Jesus has to save us from. Out of the frying pan into the hell of eternal death. It treats the symptoms of sin without curing the disease, leaving us praying again just to probably the next day, the Lord save me from needing to be saved by you uh, from all these things around me. But that you may know, says Jesus, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. The Lord healed the guy. He fixed his universe in order to show you that he could forgive your sins. Not to prove to you that he is the Son of Man. He's God. He's good. You can uh, tell that by your sins being forgiven. That's what he wants you to know. That's what he wants you to believe. 
For the Father knows the harder thing between take up your mat and go home and your sins are forgiven. The harder thing is the forgiveness of sins. That will cost Jesus his life. Saving you from needing to be saved is your big problem. The Father sends his Son to die on the cross for, for your sins my sins, and the sins of the whole world, to rescue you once from all time from ever needing to be saved from God's wrath again, ever. This is the fix for your universe. This is the case closed of your life and the lives of your family, the cross. So lift up your hands. Stop being afraid of what terrible thing might be around the corner. It already happened to Jesus. And he rose again from the dead from it. And you will too. You are alive in Christ. You are forgiven. So put away the old way of looking at his words, his promises. Change the way you treat others. Let the thief steal no more. Let those who doubt, doubt no more. For his words, his promises, deliver who he is and how he is toward you. Not to make your situation better. Like suddenly everything is flowers and puppies and kittens and a universe where the cubs win the pennant and uh, the bears always win, where their offense outscores their defense. It may be that it's still cloudy and overcast in your world with no blue skies in sight. You may still have headaches. Your hands still may shake. There may be danger right around the corner for you, about to pounce on you. But despite your universe, despite the pain, despite the suffering, rest solely in the promises of Christ. Jesus is the one whose words really do change reality. From death to life, from paralytic to walking, from sinner to forgiven saint. Be of good cheer. Have courage. Be positive as you go about your life. Take heart. I forgive you all your sins. Rise. Take your mats. Go home. But go home forgiven. And when you have, for when you have forgiveness, you have everything. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Boy, the one thing that's uh, certain, you sure didn't learn a lot about Pastor Borghardt or Vicar Sheik in their sermons, did you? It's the way it's supposed to be. The job of the pastor is to preach the word and proclaim and exalt Christ, not himself. Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord in ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's what it sounds like when a pastor doesn't preach about himself, but preaches Christ. Profound, isn't it? A me-centered sermon may be entertaining but has no power to save. A Christ-centered sermon, though? Well, that has the power to save. Save even from the fires of hell and the wrath of God. Something to think about. 
All right. We're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till Monday, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>